This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome into the Inside Carolina podcast. I'm your host, Ross Martin, and we have a special podcast today. We're joined by Sherelle and Greg, and we're going to break down the 2020-21 UNC basketball roster. We're going to do a deep dive into all positions, all the players, look at the team, and really give a, uh, a good glimpse of what fans and, and everyone else can expect from North Carolina basketball this season. Uh, Inside Carolina podcast presented to you by Giant T-Shirt and GiantT-Shirt.com. The top here, I want to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. Go on there. Give us a five-star rating. Doing that helps us, helps our reach, and allows us to do what we need to do. And we're recording here on Zoom, one of our first Zoom kind of YouTube podcasts. Hopefully everybody enjoys uh, looking at our faces. What's going on, guys? Sherelle, Greg, what's going on? Not too much, Ross. How are you doing? Great. Sherelle, what's up, man? Nothing. Every day is the same day now, so moving That's on. That's right. We're recording this on June 3rd. It's probably going to be released a little bit later next week, and we're going to get right into it, guys. All right, so obviously the season last year for the Tar Heels wasn't that great. They do lose, what, Brandon Robinson and Cole Anthony. Those are the two major losses from that squad. They return Armando Baycott, Leaky Black, Andrew Playtech, and um, – Garrison Brooks. Those are the major returners. They bring in a, a plethora of freshmen. The number two overall class in the uh, 2020 class, you got Caleb Love, R.J. Davis, Kerwin Walton, Puff Johnson, Walker Kessler, and Daron Sharp. Let's get right into it. Sherelle, point guard position. Last two seasons, Cole Anthony has been point guard, and then Kobe White, both one-and-dones. They bring in another expected type of one-and-done elite point guard in Caleb Love. What's going on at point guard position for UNC uh, next season? Yeah, I think Caleb is the presumptive starter there um, just because of the way uh, he can handle the ball, his athleticism, the way he likes to push. You know, he's a very talented player, and they definitely made him a priority about a year ago. Uh, so I think you can kind of pencil him in as somebody who should be starting uh, the lead guard and kind of be the team's primary facilitator. I think the question marks come in with what's behind him and kind of how that all sorts itself out. So, um, you know, definitely Caleb uh, will have to come in and have to learn on the fly. You know, it's, um, it's interesting because for so long, the last three months, we thought that players weren't going to be on campus in July. And now that they're going to be able more than likely to come back, we'll see how much they're able to kind of pick up and see if they can have anything close to a normal summer, which includes all those things that helps them, you know, start to understand Carolina basketball. And what kind of player is Caleb? I mean, can you give us a quick kind of um, review of, of, of what time of guard he'll be and any comparisons to recent UNC point guards and as a defender and an offensive uh, playmaker? Uh, maybe not comparisons, but I, I think he has a, 
he has transitioned from someone who played both guard spots to someone who played primarily a lead guard role. Um, very comfortable scoring, which is something that he did a ton of in high school. And for the most part, you know, there's not really that such a thing as a traditional point guard anymore. The guy who averages eight points and nine assists, you know, that tip really doesn't exist anymore because the way the game is played, you have to have someone who's a threat, you know, from the point guard or lead guard position. So he can score. Um, he really improved his shooting over the last year, which I think is going to be a big key. I'm sure we're going to talk about that a ton because that is – probably the biggest question mark for UNC heading into next season is how can they shoot from the perimeter? Um, and so after starting a little bit slow with his high school team, uh, I think after, I think after the new year, he shot a, a really high percentage and ended up close to 40%. And I'm mean like 38.5, 39, something around, something like that. And when you consider his high school team, that he's by far the most talented player and he gets the most attention. That's really impressive because a lot of times it's step back threes. There's, there's not a lot, not a lot of shots in rhythm, not a lot of shots that he's open. So I think he's got that going for him. And then he's an athletic player. Um, I, I wouldn't call him a, a next level athlete, but he's a really, really good athlete. Can push tempo and he has the, the wingspan. I think his wingspan is six nine or six ten, So he can be a, a really um, impactful defender, I think. And that's something that people don't talk about a lot, that he's six three, six four with a long wingspan. Uh, what I find fascinating about the point guard situation for North Carolina is if you go back eight years, what was the big talking point for Roy Williams after that 2012 Elite Eight game where he's having to defend, depend on a true freshman in Stillman White uh, because Larry Drew had checked out the year before and, and Kendall gets hurt. He says, from now moving forward, we are going to have enough point guards on staff where this is no longer an issue. We're going to make sure that position is stocked. And it's almost as if he cursed himself. I mean, if you look at the last <laughs> 10 years, Larry Drew transferred, right? Jalik Felton, whatever he did is, I mean, I don't know if he just quit or they kicked him off the team, whatever that was, he's gone. Seventh Woods transfers. And now Jeremiah Francis transfers. Now each has a unique situation for it. Um, but the fact that we're talking about four point guards that came in for Roy Williams who have left, and now you're in a situation, as, as Rail says, Caleb Love better be good. There's a lot of good players on this team. Uh, if he's not good, though, what's going to happen? You're going to have to go back to Leaky Black, who's, who's said before, you know, he's more comfortable in the wing. Uh, Roy Williams has a lot of faith of, with him as a point guard. Uh, but I, I think as we saw late in the year, this past year, He's better suited for the wing, almost kind of a facilitator role, uh, a mini Theo Pinson, if you yeah. will, in terms of how he can kind of run the offense from that position. I think he's best there. So if Caleb Love gets hurt, Caleb Love uh, doesn't pan out the way that a lot of us are expecting him to, if there's any kind of chemistry issues like we saw last year with Cole Anthony in terms of style of play, uh, there could be some issues. So the fact that this is a revolving door uh, so to speak, of you're at the point guard position, which is by far the most important position in a Roy Williams offense. Uh, it, it's just something I find fascinating that has transpired that way really over the last eight years. Yeah, UNC was spoiled when they had Marcus Page for four years to overlap with Joel Berry, and you also had Nate Britt during that time as well. And, and you know, kudos to Nate Britt for staying on and, and being a backup for his whole career. But, you know, that came down to having some crucial moments and some, some big games. R.J. Davis, go ahead, Greg. I was going to say, Nate, Nate Britt is a perfect example of, of what you need at point guard, right? Yeah. Um, is he an elite guy? No. Is he a guy that can come in and give you 10 to 12 minutes, especially if there's either you have 
fluke injuries, you have a twisted ankle here, you have foul trouble. He could come in in critical spots, like you said, later in his career, and really give you good minutes. Your Marcus Ginyard back in, I guess it was 08, he had to play point guard up at Virginia because there were so many injuries that had taken place. Played very well in that game. Not somebody that you want to play that position year, year for the entire year, but in spot minutes, they can do it effectively. Uh, and you look at this roster right now, who is that guy? Again, it's got to be Leakey, even though Leakey's better suited at a different position. Yeah, and I want to bring Shrell in here about R.J. Davis. You know, he seems like a guy who could play some point, but he's another freshman. How do, Shrell, how do you see the backup position going? Because Caleb Love's not going to be able to play the whole game. And if he does struggle, you know, you know, there might be some options to play a different guy at some points in the game. How do, you, how do you see the backup spot? And then how do you see kind of the distribution of minutes at that point guard spot for UNC next season? Well, I think this is where we breach the subject of the two guard, because in order to talk about the backup point guard, you have to start to talk about the starting two. Right now, North Carolina has three healthy guards. They have Caleb Love, who is the incoming freshman. They have R.J. Davis, who is an incoming freshman. And they have Andrew Plate. Anthony Harris's condition is unknown. Um, you know, he's he says the right things and he's working hard to get back. But you just don't know how he's going to respond after two ACL injuries in two years. So. If R.J. Davis is able to start at the two, uh, you know, if he beats out Andrew Playtech and, you know, potentially Kerwin Walton, then you have to wonder how much he's going to be able to play at the backup point guard spot because we talk about, um, you know, cross-training and, and multiple, multiple positions. It's very difficult to learn the point guard position if you're the starting two as a freshman at UNC. Not to mention, you talked about the revolving door of point guards. Well, if you want to stop that and close it, then R.J. Davis is, you know, probably a prime candidate to be your starting point guard in 2021, 2022. So, you know, it would stand a reason that you wanted to get him some playing time as, you know, at the point guard spot. So if you assume that he's going to be the backup point guard, then you create another hole pending Anthony Harris's um, health at the two spot. So I think there's all the things that the coaching staff is thinking about. I think he's definitely capable of uh, manning, you know, the backup point guard role. I think he would do well in that. I think he is a kind of an upgraded version of, of Nate Britt. Um, I don't think he'll be a backup for more than a year. I, I, I'd put a lot of money on him being the starting point guard at UNC as a sophomore. But for, for next season, you know, they're going to need shooting. And so it just comes down to that mixture of Playtech and Curran Walton and RJ Davis and, and what they do. And once they decide that, then I, can, I think they can figure out how to deploy Davis best. So I didn't answer your question directly, but I think all that stuff is you have to consider um, when you start talking about the backup point guard spot. So do you think, I mean, RJ Davis is a point guard. His position in college is going to be point guard for the foreseeable future. Is that how you see it or? Uh, it depends on what you mean by point guard. I, I think he'll be, he'll have the ball in his hands. I don't know if he'll function all the time like a traditional point guard. I think he has a lot of, of scoring in, in him. He, he's a, He's wired to score, for lack of a better term. I think he can be functional as someone who is a primary facilitator. <clears throat> but I, I think it might be in your best interest to have another person yeah. you know, in the game with him who can also handle the ball and, and do some of the things to free him up to score. Okay, great. Um, I think it's about time to move to shooting guard, the two spot. But first, let's talk about Giant T-Shirt and GiantT-Shirt.com. They are Inside Carolina's podcast loyal sponsors right on Franklin Street and online at GiantT-Shirt.com. They have the best deals, best customer service, and it's a local company. And during these times, coronavirus pandemic, we definitely want to support our local companies. They've been good to us. Let's be good to them. 
you are going to buy UNC stuff. You're going to get hats. You're going to get gears. You're going to get sweatshirts, shirts, all that stuff. Make sure you go to Johnny T-shirt and JohnnyT-shirt.com to buy all your UNC gear. And if you are an Inside Carolina premium subscriber, hop onto the message boards and you can find a 10% off discount code only for Inside Carolina subscribers. So Johnny T-shirt, JohnnyT-shirt.com, right on Franklin Street. If you're in town for a football game, if we have football and then this basketball season comes around, stop by, get a shirt, get a hat, get new gear. I went over there and they had like 50 sweatshirt options. Big sweatshirt guy. Get all your gear there. It's awesome. Giant t-shirt and johnnytshirt.com. All right. Number two, uh, two spot shooting guard. A lot of options here. And as Sherelle kind of um, alluded to, there's, there's probably more unknowns here. Maybe one of the more interesting positions for UNC moving forward because of the different players and movement you have Anthony Harris who showed flashes for the short amount of time he played before getting injured he is on the mend and still in ACL recovery you have you know Leaky Black could play some two probably more of a, a three type player you have Andrew Playtech you have RJ Davis you have Curran Walton so a lot of options there um, we'll start with Greg here how do you see his position kind of breaking down for UNC next season I know you don't know as much about some of the recruits that are coming in but what UNC needs and what you expect to happen for the shooting guard spot next season. Well, again, I think we could probably say this about every position, um, but if, if the freshmen come in and kind of live up to the hype, then they're going to get a lot of time there. And the way that Roy Williams favors seniority, especially early in the year, uh, Andrew Playtex won't get a lot of time. Now, in order for him to secure a, a starting job, he's going to have to shoot better than 36 from the floor and 23%, whatever it was from three point range. That that's, that's not good enough. Uh, but I think he does enough other things and he's uh, going to be a leader this year that that kind of earns him some, uh, some, or you want to say some, some credit uh, yeah. with, with Roy Williams. And I think that's a good thing to have a guy like that who can come into play, but again, he's got to be able to shoot better. And so that opens the door for, Davis or Walton really to, to kind of step in um, you know I, it's the backcourt is is the issue for this team and uh, I, I think Leaky Black is probably better suited for for the three and I know the two yeah. and three are somewhat interchangeable but defense is where it really separates uh, and I just think you know if if Puff Johnson's having to come in and play some at the two you know, defensively that may be a challenge just as a as a young guy uh, and so if you can have Leaky play the three, that gives you some flexibility. But then you are putting yourself in position of having two freshmen on the floor at the one and two, uh, which could be problematic, which is why I kind of come back to play tech. And I think early in the year, somebody's going to have to beat him out of that position. Now, some listening to this and watching this may say, well, that's not going to be hard to do. <laughs> um, but, you know, he, he had flashes last year. He started a lot of games. He's got a lot of experience. Um, and if he can shoot the ball just a little bit better than he did last year, I think he's going to hold on to that position for a while. If we see more of the short shooting woes uh, that we did last year, you know, he, he's going to have a hard time staying on the court. Sherell, same question to you. What do you see kind of happening with uh, the, two, the two spot? I mean, play tech starting, it's kind of crazy to think about, but he has shown. <laughs> I mean, you made some good points there, Greg. Uh, especially with Anthony Harris, that dynamic, and then what Kerwin Walton and RJ Davis could bring. Yeah, so two things. <clears throat> I think folks have to prepare themselves. And, you know, we see it on the message board all the time. Andrew Playtech is going to play, and he's going to play a lot initially. One, because he will be a senior, 
and he knows the system. He knows the intricacies of the offense and defensive philosophies. Two, because they only have three <laughs> healthy guards right now. Um, you know, I'm considering Carton Walton more of a wing. So if you consider Walton more of a wing, three healthy guards. Like, that's not – that's 80 minutes to divide among three people. So just by that fact alone, Andrew Playtech is going to have to play. So accept that because it's going to happen. That's the first thing. The second thing I would say is that all this is a moot point if Anthony Harris is healthy because he has the requisite skills that Roy Williams likes for his guards. He's um, a pretty good athlete. He can handle the ball some. Um, he, he is a, I know it's cliche to say, but he is a winner. Um, he played in a really tough high school league um, up in D.C. He played for one of the better AAU teams of the last, you know, like I say, decade with Team Takeover. They lost one game. That was the team with Jeremy Roach and Armando Baycott and Hunter Dickinson and Anthony Harris and a few other guys who went to Villanova and Virginia. So it was a loaded team, and he started for that team. Um, so you have to consider that. Um, and then just the impact, the numbers show, if you go back and look at our offseason profiles, the numbers show, you know, very small sample, but they show that he was very important to what North Carolina was trying to do in the games he played. It was only five. Again, it's a very small sample. But I think you saw enough to say, okay, this is a player that does the things and, and checks the boxes that Roy Williams likes. So, um, again, if he's healthy, you know, in, in November when the season kicks off, then none of this matters. And it's kind of who's going to be the backup two guard. If he's not, then you have to go say, okay, Corbin Walton, you know, can you beat out Andrew Playtech in a month or, or a month and a half of conditioning and practice? And you have to say, okay, RJ Davis, do we think you can be the backup point guard to kind of make every um, position kind of a nice two deep? Or do we go ahead and say, you know what, we're going to play the best five players regardless of how it hurts us at other spots and, and start RJ Davis at the two because he gives you more shooting and another ball handler. You know, that's something too I think people don't think about. North Carolina hasn't really had a secondary ball handler in the last few years, you know, really dating back to Theo Pinson and the championship team. Back in 18, it was, you know, excuse me, back in, eight, in 18 yeah. with uh, Joel Berry and, and Theo Pinson. The last two years, it was Kobe White was really the primary facilitator the one guy who could really, you know, hunt his shot and get his own shot. I don't think there's anybody else on that team who I would consider an, a great ball handler. And the same thing with last year with Cole Anthony. He was pretty much the only one. Um, so there is value in having multiple guys like that, you know, playing at the same time. So maybe that's something that they consider when they start talking about R.J. Davis at the two. It's crazy uh, how good Kobe White was. I'm <laughs> just, like, thinking about, like, he was so good that one year. Uh, that will be interesting. I mean, yeah, the Anthony Harris, I think he – would become a fan favorite. You just saw his intensity as a player. Um, he, he made some big shots, especially against UCLA in the Las Vegas game, CBS Sports Classic. Um, you know, play, play tech is limited, but he showed some promise as a defender. He knows the system. He's a senior. He's a senior leader. Good dude. Good locker room guy. Um, and then, of course, R.J. Davis, a little more athleticism, but still undersized. And then Kerwin Walton. A question for you, I mean, Kerwin Walton doesn't seem – is he that athletic? I don't know. I, I don't think he's been scouted that much. I, you haven't seen him in person either, have you? I haven't. Yeah. Um, so I, I watched it, some tape. It didn't seem like that much of an athlete, and I've read some stuff too. What, do you, what can he bring, you think? Yeah, that's, that's pretty much the word that we've gotten is that he's a, a, a really good shooter um, and that above all else, if he can contribute nothing else, he should be able to come in and, and knock down shots immediately. And I know that kind of triggers some Carolina fans because we've heard that about players, you know, for – Dating back 10 or 15 years, like, okay, X player is going to come in and he's going to be able to shoot and he shoots 31%. Yeah. And this player is going to come in and he's going to be able to shoot and he shoots 27, you know, et cetera, et cetera, on and on. Um, but that is what they are kind of banking on that he can help them in that regard and then kind of develop those other skills. You know, it's very easy because his name is 
you know, Kenny Walton, uh, uh, excuse me, I call him Kenny Walton. So maybe I'm on the right track. <laughs> I was going to compare him to Kenny Williams. It's easy to do because they're wearing number 24 and yeah, they're both yeah. But I think that is the role they kind of see for him, which is be really good defensively and knock down shots. And if you can do those two things, anything else you can add is, is you know, a, a net plus. And I, I think that's how they're looking at it. Such an advantage. We can have a, a really good knockdown shooter. We saw it with Cameron Johnson, you know, and then back to Wayne Ellington. And it's been, it's, I feel like it's just been a while since you just had a really good shooting guard because Cameron Johnson was kind of the three. But, uh, anyways, we move on. Shooting guard, I think we're good there. Uh, a lot of question marks Anthony Harris, RJ Davis, Curran Walton, Andrew Playtech. Let's move to the three spot, small forward. I think Leaky Black is the guy here. So to, to kind of evolve this question, we'll go to Greg. Greg, what does Leaky Black need to do to, to, to step up and kind of be what I think Roy Williams expects him to be and what a lot of fans think he can be with his 6'8", size, the length, the athleticism? What does he need to do to step up and really be an impact player both offensively and defensively next season? He needs to play games healthy. I, mean, yeah. I, I think it's as simple as that. Um, you sound like Roy Williams. Well, I mean, it's, <laughs> at, at some point, it's, it's kind of an easy conversation yeah. because I, I do think Leakey, uh, he's one of those unique individuals who brings so much to the, to the table because his length allows him to be a good defender. He should be a good rebounder because of that athletic ability. Uh, he's got good vision. I mean, he could play at a point guard for a long, long time. Uh, he can score. You know, he, I think when he's healthy, he can probably shoot a little bit better than he, than he has. But I, I was really impressed with how he played uh, down the stretch. I thought he really – you could kind of see the confidence kind of come to him. It seemed like too too far often early in the year he was playing, he was kind of trying to figure out exactly where he needed to be or what he needed to do. He was thinking just a tad too much. And at this level, you can see that in kids. I mean, uh, Christian Keeling is a great example. Once he finally got over that confidence issue, all of a sudden here's a kid that can shoot the ball. Uh, and I really think Leakey kind of made that next step. Uh, but I know in, in talking with him you know, various times last year, uh, he just kind of expressed frustration that, hey, you know, I understand being hurt because I've been hurt for two years now. And uh, I really think that's, that's the big thing from him. He's a very sharp kid, very articulate. Uh, I think he's going to be a great leader for this team. I really – as I said, the frustration level for him, uh, you could really sense it talking to him after games and stuff. Um, and I think for me that, that that carries a lot of weight because I, I do think he is, even if it's not this year because Garrison's the guy, I really think his senior year he's going to be a fantastic leader for this team. It's going to be somebody we talk about a lot, even if he's not you know the the top scorer or whatever. He's just that kind of unique individual. Uh, you know, not to put him in the same class of a George Lynch or David Noel in terms of leadership and how he approaches things, but I, mean, I think he's probably close to that. I think he has that potential. Uh, but he's got to be able to play better. And in order for him to play better, he's got to be healthy. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see him step into more of a leadership role. He obviously played behind Kobe White and Nasir Little as a freshman last year, injured, and obviously was still young. And, and this year, I mean, this is, this is his time to shine. He's going to be counting on for a lot. And uh, he's playing a big role for the Tar Heels. Shrell, anything to add on Leaky Black? You know, you know, you followed his recruitment. You know him pretty well. Um, yeah, yeah I, I think uh, what Greg said about being healthy, because, I mean, 
fans didn't realize it, but I mean, he was not only was he injured the whole season, but he was injured, you know, in different ways the whole season and playing through that pain. And again, not excusing any of the poor performances or, or some of the times that he didn't play his best, but that has to be um, considered into the equation when you talk about his career thus far. Also has to, that has to be considered is that, you know, he's really not quite a year behind where he should be just because of the injuries, the missed time. If you look after his freshman year, he said he went from, I think it was mid-January, I guess this would be of 2019, all the way through the beginning of last season without going through a full practice 100% with contact. So that is a long time to kind of be on the sidelines and try to um, play at, at a high level for a school like UNC, all while learning multiple positions, all while starting at multiple positions, um, and, and trying to just, you know, kind of sink or swim. So I, I think fans need to realize that. And then for Leakey, uh, you know, again, I, I defer back to the offseason profiles we did, but one of the people we talked to was like, he needs to figure out what is the thing that is good at? What's it that he's good at? What's the thing that keeps him on the roster? What's the thing that gives him minutes? Is it his, you know, defensive acumen? If it's that, then he needs to push himself 100% to become the best defender in the country. Is it his ability to be, you know, kind of a jack of all trades? Then, okay, do that. Is it his, you know, that he's a 6'8 kind of uh, guy who can be a, a distributor, who can be a facilitator? If, it's, if that's what he thinks it is, then do that. Whatever it is, he has to find one thing that he's really, really, really good at. Because right now, you know, he's kind of, a, you know, average at a few things. And that's not necessarily helping North Carolina. If he could have one skill I think that would help them build the roster a little bit better and and have balance with other players who he's he's in the lineup with yeah Ross to follow up on that uh this is just me just talking like like I do sometimes just kind of ramble uh but like Theo Penson for example you ask him what position he is he's like I'm a basketball player like wherever you want me to play I got it not a problem a lot of people are like that some people are like that where they just want to play they'll play any position and then you have other guys who kind of need direction in terms of saying, okay, well, this is where I'm, I'm best suited. And I don't know if Leakey's that way, uh, but he's not like Theo in terms of you know, the brashness and the confidence level. And when we talked to him last offseason, uh, he made the comment, we, we asked him, we said, hey, you know, what, what position are you best at? And he kind of like shrugged and was like, I don't know. And we're like, well, have you talked to Roy? And he said, yeah, Roy comes up to me and says, hey, you're, you're a basketball player. I'm not really sure what position, but you're just a ball player, and that's, that's good enough. True, uh, but I do wonder if, if he's the kid that somebody needs to say, hey, look, uh, we, we like you here. We think you can help here. This is your position. This is what we need you to do, as opposed to being like, hey, you're a ball player. Just do whatever we need. And I have to wonder if he's like, well, I'm not exactly sure what that is. Um, so I don't know if that's part of it or not, but that's that's – Things rambling around. In my head. <laughs> yeah, and I think people will just like they see that six eight frame. He's athletic. He's big. He put on some muscle in the offseason. You can definitely tell that. They're just waiting for him to take that next step because I mean that size and his mobility and his ability to handle the ball. I mean he has NBA type potential. When you look at him. So realizing that over the next two years is gonna be huge because Roy said that he's a point guard. That's kind of they recruited him as a point guard. It was what they saw him becoming. Um, you know he's had to play behind Kobe White. And I mean, not necessarily play behind, but Kobe White, Cole Anthony, and now Caleb Love. So it'd be interesting, you know, maybe next year is when he takes a point guard. I don't know, maybe he is just a, a wing. But uh, when, he, when it clicks for him, we'll be very exciting to see. Uh, quickly here behind him, Sherelle, 
you got uh, Puff Johnson, you know, maybe Kerwin Walton could play a little three. W- what do you see uh, reserve wise behind, uh, behind Leakey? Yeah, so Leakey is definitely, um, he, he's a leader in the clubhouse for Greg, um, but he is not guaranteed to be a starter. I think, you know, I was going to wait, but I think we need to go ahead and broach that subject too. Like they had the worst season they've had in, you know, almost 20 years last year. Roy Williams had the worst season of his entire career, you know, dating back 40, 50 years, not just as a head coach, but also as an assistant as well. By far the worst of his career. And so they're just not going to tolerate that happening again. And so all bets are off. Like, mm. it seems like, yeah, Leakey should be the starter. You know, he's experienced. He's played a lot. If he doesn't do what he's supposed to do in practice and they feel like Puff Johnson is better, then Puff Johnson is going to play. And I, I think people – we know that Roe Williams likes experienced talent. We all know that's, that's his thing. But in, in – there's never been a situation like this before where a team is coming off a season like it did last year and they have such a – talented recruiting class coming in so I I think the practices this year assuming everything starts on time in October or late September are going to be really fascinating just because there's going to be nothing given to anyone I'd say outside of Garrison Brooks I think you can kind of pencil him in but the other four spots we think we know who might get there but we just don't I mean there there have been times in the past where it seemed like oh well this person's going to start and this person's going to back him up. And that's not the way it went. So I think, you know, Puff Johnson, we talked about North Carolina's need for shooting. He's a good shooter. That's one of the reasons they recruited him. Um, He's tall, he's lanky, and he can shoot. So if you're starting to say, okay, what can, what can Puff Johnson bring? He can bring that. Um, If North Carolina is going to have multiple big guys who are really good, they're likely to get double team. So what do you need from someone who's playing a three? The ability to hit open shots. And if he can do that, there's no reason that he can't start. I don't think he will, but I think people have to start, you know, kind of really getting their mind around that concept that this is wide open. Yeah, it's interesting. Maybe we'll see a lot more time out of Puff and Kerwin than than many expect, uh, given that point. Yeah, because having that valuable shooter, because, you know, maybe Caleb Love, RJ Davis – those guys, Anthony Harris, maybe they don't shoot as well as expected and, and they need that. All right, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the big men. I'm excited about this. One of the most talented group of big men, I think, in the country. It'll be interesting to see how the freshmen kind of get in with, uh, with the returners and, and Garrison Brooks. Armando Baycott. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do averaging 29 and 11. God, shit. What'd it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing. All right, and we are back. Uh, we are back to talk about the big men, the four spot and the five spot. I, t- I typed up kind of a thing for us to go through, and I'm not even sure if it's right. You know, obviously, Garrison, Brook is, Garrison Brooks is at the four, but behind him is Walker Kessler, uh, Kessler uh, a four. Let's dive into it. Uh, we'll start with 
Sherrell. Obviously, Garrison Brooks is a starter, had a huge junior season. Uh, I believe he was second team all ICC. I mean, had you know led the league in scoring and rebounding, I think, in ACC play. Most improved player, a team leader, had some massive games, which we didn't, never would have expected from him as a freshman because he really stepped up offensively. Uh, what can Garrison do to get better first? And then what do you see behind him um, and, and what maybe Kessler or whoever else plays that spot? Sherelle? Uh What can you do to get better? I think um, the fact that he won't be playing 35 minutes a game will help him tremendously because I do think you saw – and it's no fault yeah. of his own, but I think you saw some defensive slippage from him just because he's out there banging for 35, 36 minutes a game while also being the number two at times, number one option on offense. And that just, that's tiring. That wears on you. Um, so I, I think in that way, it'll help him a ton because, you know, all the defensive numbers, if you talk to Adrian Atkinson, you know, kind of our, our analytics guy who looks at stats and charting and everything, Brooks is like, an excellent defensive player. I don't know if people fully realize just how good defensively he is. Adrian called him borderline savant on defense, which to me, that's a huge compliment. Um, and so they were missing some of that because he had such a burden on offense. And I think Kessler and an improved Baycott and to some degree, um, Deron Sharp will really help him with that. So he doesn't have that tremendous burden of having to score. At, was it against Georgia Tech, like 35 and, you know, 15 rebounds or, you know, something ridiculous like that? I don't think you'll see any stat lines that from, like that from him this upcoming season. Um, behind him at the four, you know, I, I think Daron Sharp is kind of the guy I would look to there. But okay. um, there are some in the scouting community or, or scouts who think he's a, a true college five. And they also believe that Walker Kessler is a true college five. And they also believe that Armando Baycott is a true college five. So the issue is going to be which one of those three can, in some small instances, um, you know, take on what we would call a face-up four. So kind of a, a bigger, small forward playing in the four position, which it happens a lot in college basketball. Which one of those three um, can really do that well for five or six minutes a game? And I think that's who will ultimately be the, the kind of uh, backup four. So, so quickly, that's go ahead, Greg. I was going to say that's the the question for me is we know Garrison is is a good defender and he can go out on the wing and, and guard. There are so many stretch fours playing at the you know the FBS level now, if you will. Um, that's that's my question is Garrison cannot play forty minutes a night, and unless you're wanting to go small, which I mean this year especially it seems like you're really hurting yourself when you've got you know, three talented kids. Uh, and, and Kessler and Sharp and, and Baycott having to sit on the bench, you don't want to do that, especially given Roy's uh, preferences for two bigs. So if you've got a, you know, a, a small forward who can go out and knock down the three or you have to guard him on the perimeter, which one of those three is most capable of being able to get out there? Because when Baycott tried it a few times last year, it was just not good. Yeah, I, you know – I think Dayron is probably the closest. And again, he's kind of gotten a label as a true college five, but I, I think he's the closest. And you raise a good point is they're going to have to, again, do some math. You know, is it worth the rebounding advantage and um, the, the ability to get the other team in foul trouble playing two bigs versus what they lack on defense? It really, to me, it goes back to how they always play against Duke. It, it always, I always go back to that of, you know, it's always Bryce Johnson or Isaiah Hicks covering Jason Tatum or Brandon Ingram or Jabari Parker or insert, you know, all the way back to Grant Hill. It's always that situation. And I think they've, 
you know, acquitted themselves fairly well over the years in, in that kind of battle. So um, that, that's what I look towards. Can, can Dayron Sharp stop uh, uh, somebody who's going to play three in the NBA? Can he defend him for five, six, seven, eight minutes a game? I, I, think, I think he can. Um, can he immediately? I don't know. Uh, but I, I, he, he, to me, he's the, the best candidate for that role. Shrill, real quick, what does Roy and UNC look for in that four spot? I mean, what differentiates it from the, the, the five in terms of that position? Because, I mean, obviously I know some stuff, but could you kind of clear that for, for our listeners? Yeah, I mean, I, I, you probably know the same stuff I do. I, I, I can't give you a, a super detailed answer. Um, you know, I can just look at the players that they've had in the past. The, the four has typically been a little more athletic, a, a little more bouncy, able to um, switch things on defense a little yeah. easier than, than what you would call the, the traditional five. I'm using air quotes for those who are listening. Um, so I, I think that's, to me, those, those are the couple of things. I don't have that, that level of expertise to kind of dive into those details. But if you just look at who they've played in that role, to me, that, that seems to be the difference. Yeah, I think you look at Isaiah Hicks and Bryce Johnson as kind of the quintessential fours. Right. A little bit more mobility and ability to maybe hit, even, hit an outside shot. Even John Henson, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know that his first year he played the three, but the rest of his <laughs> career, he was beside Tyler Zeller as the four. So. Yeah. God, that lineup was sick with, when you had Henson and Zeller, two seven-footers. All right. Um, okay, so I, I would think Walker Kessler would be that backup four. Now, why am I wrong there? I think he's the guy who can hit the outside shot. Maybe a little bit more mobile. Or am I wrong? Is he not as mobile as Dayron? I, I mean, I, I like Walker, and I, I think he's a, a very good player. I think it's going to take a little time for him. At now, you know, the last time we talked to, you know, the people around him, he was seven foot two, is what they said he was, and so that's a very tough ask for someone that okay. tall to have the lateral quickness, even if they are a good athlete, to keep up with a six eight, six seven guy. You know, who's, yeah who's played on the perimeter his whole life. That's a really, really, really big ask. So I think that's why probably I, I see him more as either the starting five or, or the backup five, depending upon how everything shanks out. Um, and also offensively, um, you know, maybe offensively he is the de facto four just because he has that trail ability to, to hit, you know, open shots in, in some of their sets and everything. So um, I, I think that's why um, he's athletic, but that is – that's real hard for someone that tall to, to kind of operate in, that, in space like that. Seven foot two, breaking news here on the Inside Carolina Podcast. I didn't know, I didn't know he had gotten that tall. Uh, it'd be interesting to see how UNC used him. They've, I don't think they've ever had a player like him because Zeller was athletic. I mean, he could run the floor and he was a seven footer, but he could, I don't think he really bounced out to the three spot. So a seven two guy, he hit the three. I don't think we've seen that UNC recently. All right, let's move to the five. Greg, Armando Baycott leader in the clubhouse to start at the five. He's going to have a competition. He's going to be pushed by Dayron Sharp, by Walker Kessler. What do you see at that five spot with – I'm on the you know, He had an up-and-down season, so how I like to phrase it when I write about him. He was good. He missed a lot of shots up close, I thought, was kind of his weakness, was kind of scoring more in the paint when he had opportunities. Big body rebounder, showed some athleticism. Armando Bacot, what did you see from him? Where can he improve, and how do you see that five spot kind of break it down? Yeah, this is interesting because what – what Rel said about the three being wide open um, is kind of where I was going with the five spot, more so than the three. Just because I think Baycott, when he was good, you know, against Oregon, he was great. He was the best player on the court yep. down the Bahamas, no question about it. Uh, and it just seemed like the injuries just really hurt his confidence. Uh, I think strength is an issue. Uh, I think the conditioning aspect was, was part of that, some of that probably due to the injury. 
but he just kind of got pushed around a little bit too much. He wasn't strong enough with the ball. I don't know how many times I saw Roy Williams scream, get the ball, get the ball on the sideline. It was great. Um, like all year long, that was kind of the, the talking point. Now, skill set wise, but he's got he's got everything you need. Um, but when you talk about guys like Kessler and Sharp coming in, uh, just an incredible amount of talent. And so if he makes the necessary steps and he does what he's supposed to uh, this offseason, then, yeah, that's probably his position to start the year. Uh, Garrison Brooks, you know, he, he took the advice of the coaching staff and Roy Williams specifically in their spring meetings last year. Uh, and they said, you need to do this, this, and this. He did all those things. What happened? He exploded. He was second team all What were those team. things, you think? What do you think those things were? Well, leadership was one of them. Uh, working on his outside shot was another. Yep. And I'm not sure what the other one was. I'm sure it was defensive-related. Real may know. I'm, I'm not exactly sure what the other one was. Uh, but he really worked incredibly hard on his outside shot and got a lot better with it. I mean, he had post moves and a, a jumper last year that we didn't see really his sophomore year. Um, and so I think that's just kind of an impressive step that he took. There have other guys, been other guys of late who were told to do certain things and who did not do it, and they start the year and they're in the doghouse a little bit. So who's Armando going to be? Is he going to follow after Garrison and follow after some other great players you know, kind of behind him? Or is he going to be another one of these guys who's, yeah, you know, I know I need to do that, but eh. That's how you get in trouble with Roy Williams, and that's what opens the door for a guy like Kessler or Sharp, who talent-wise are, are right there with him. So as long as he takes advantage of those opportunities, he should be the leader in the clubhouse to start the year. Uh, but if he doesn't, uh, he could come off the bench very quickly. Yeah, and so Daron Sharp, I mean, you look at this guy, he's built, he's phys- it looks like he's physically ready for the college game, strong rebounder, offensive scorer. Sherelle, what do you think De'Ron, you know, what's his impact in year one and, and where does he kind of fit in this team? And could he get that five spot? And, and what's his role with UNC next season? Yeah, he absolutely could for the reasons that, that Greg talked about. I, I think above all else, last year, there were times when Roy Williams would be frustrated with someone or, or the coaching staff would be frustrated with someone and be like, you know what, we're, we're going to take him out. And they'd look down the bench and say, well, <laughs> there's no one to put in the game for them. And yeah, exactly. And, and that's not going to be a problem this year. So I, I think going back to our Armando Baycott, because it, it directly impacts Sharp, I think Baycott has to be fully engaged at all times. I, I think talking to people – around the program that was maybe an issue that maybe not that he wasn't trying hard, but just that maybe he wasn't always, you know, 100% into it because it's, it's a difficult thing to do, especially when you're injured and you don't know how, you know, your ankle's going to respond. You don't know how any, you know, of, the, of your injuries, how you're going to respond to those. Um, so I think he has to be a hundred percent like locked in at all times. So that's how he keeps his starting role. I think for Sharp, that is his MO. That's what he does, is that he's a very quiet, intense guy who likes to rebound, who likes to block shots, and likes to dunk. You know, something that everyone kind of can get behind. And he is a a very strong offensive rebounder. I've said it on several podcasts, but, you know, one of the best offensive rebounders, if if not the best offensive rebounder I've seen since I've been doing this, you know, Mm -hmm. right up there with guys like Amari Stoudemire. Um, And, you know, offensive rebounding, if you – rebounding in general, yeah, and it's a cliche, but I've asked several people this. I'm like, is it true that rebounding is really about desire? And they say, yeah, every time. It's about how much you want it, how hard you go after it. And to me, that says – Dayron Sharp is going to play hard at all times. He's going to run rim to rim. He's going to try to dunk the ball all the time. He's going to block shots. 
And so that is a great way to start. If he can't do nothing else at all besides those three things, he has a, a clear path to playing time and really a, a path to the starting role if things go his way. Yeah, and that's going to be good for Baycott to push him. I mean, that might be what he needs, that jump from freshman to sophomore year plus a guy, a freshman who is going for your starting job and will push you in practice and make everybody better. And if you don't improve, uh, Roy will not hesitate to, to put Dayron in that starting spot. Uh, right. And, go ahead. And, and it's not a slight on the guys who were on the team last year, but, you know, these guys are, are more talented players. Going back to what Williams would say, they're more gifted players than they had on the team last year. And just going against that in practice should help Baycott some if he rises to the challenge. And I, I think he will personally. Um, I, I'm, I'm still a Baycott fan. I think last year was, was tough on him, like you said, up and down. Um, but I think it's in North Carolina's best interest if Baycott is able to secure that five because it just it balances the roster more and they can, you know, kind of deploy things differently. If you go back to 2017, and I, I've been watching a lot of games, you know, from 2017, 16, and 94. There was a game on from 2004 earlier today where Carolina blew a 24-point lead to Florida State. Anyway, um, the point of that is that if you go back to 2017, the way he used his bigs, it was uh, Kennedy Meeks and Isaiah Hicks started the game. You know, eventually, you know, Tony Bradley would come in. And then there'd be a three or four or five-minute stretch where it was uh, Tony Bradley and Luke May. And he would just rotate them in and out, in and out. And when you have four big guys like that, you know, it's, it's very much like a running game in football. You just lean yeah. on them and lean on them and lean on them. And eventually, you know, the other team gets tired. And that's when you can start dominating the boards in the second half. You can start going to the free throw line. You can start getting guys into foul trouble. So it's his preferred um, style of play. And if you can have four guys operating kind of at a, a decent to high level, then some of the backcourt worries, I think, will, will go away to it'll mitigate them to some degree. Boom. Ross, I'll, I'll uh, pose a question to, to you and Rail here. <laughs> okay. Given this roster and the, the talent, especially in the front court, is, is small ball dead for at least this year? Yeah, I mean, I think the strength is with the, with the big men. So you lean on them like Sherelle said, and, you, and that's going to be your, your best offense because there's not much proven shooting. So, yeah, I would, I would say that, Sherelle. Yeah, I mean, you, Greg, you know how when you're, when you're an almost 70-year-old head coach, you're stubborn. And <laughs> your style of play is this, this is how I play and this is what I do. So I, I would say that Roy Williams will, will um, go to, and, and say, you know, two bigs, that, that's what I do. And however it hurts me on the other end, it, it'll help me more on the offensive end. And so I think that's how they'll play. Um, I, I, it, wouldn't you much rather go down, you know, playing how you want to play in your style than trying to adapt to what someone else is doing? And I think that's how he'll, he'll view it. And it's interesting that a lot of things are cyclical. I mean, who knows if, if this traditional big thing comes back at some point, and, and they may have an advantage against smaller teams if you have the right players in and can really pound them down low. You're in an advantage a lot of the times if you have some athleticism at that four spot with Brooks. You can get out and guard a little bit, and, and if you have that size advantage, you can, it can win you some games. Um, back to kind of what Sherelle was talking about, I think in an ideal world you have Baycott starting and playing 22, 24 minutes a game, and then you have Dayron in for 18, 16 minutes a game, and, and that combination could be deadly with rested big men in a center position for, for most of the season of the game. All right. <laughs> okay, so last question here. Oh, I agree with you, yeah. Yeah, yep. yeah. Right. <laughs> be interesting. I'm interested to see how, um, how Walker Kessler is involved. That, I think that's really intriguing. I think Dayron can be really good. That's exciting to think about. 
and it, it's back to that. You know, they have, like I said, a really good front court. Now, uh, kind of last topic here. How do you see this team, this roster, this lineup kind of playing? We, we've seen different types of teams the last couple of years. We've gotten away from the, the experienced point guard to, to more of a one-and-done point guard the last couple of years. They haven't had shooting. I mean, in general sense, how do you see this UNC team uh, being next season? We'll, we'll start with Greg and then go to Sherelle. I think the amount of bodies that Roy Williams is going to have at his disposal. And, you know, like, like Rel said, uh, there's going to be competition. And, Grant, I think it's that way every year, but probably more so this year in terms of playing time is up for grabs. Uh, and when there are so many people, uh, when you've got talented freshmen who can all play and you've got some veteran guys who maybe haven't been great in the past, but they know the offense, they, they know everything that Rory wants, they're good leaders, those types of things, they're going to get opportunities. And so when you just look at the, the sheer volume of, of players on this team, Early in the year, he is going to push them to run as much as he can because there are minutes available. There's no need to try to figure out uh, how to balance the roster early. You just want to throw guys in there and see who can do what you want them to do to the best of their ability. Uh, and there's a weeding out effect that, that plays into that. Uh, but he has not been happy with, with you know, kind of pace of play a lot in recent years. You know, of course, you have Kobe who – who was kind of a one-man uh, fast break. Uh, but there have been other times, even you know, back to Barry, where they weren't running as much as Roy wanted. And so you, Rel can speak more to what RJ and, and Caleb can bring in terms of pushing the pace. But just in terms of the bodies, uh, Roy's going to really push that aspect of it, I think. And, and we'll see a lot of rotations like we normally do early in the year so he can kind of get a handle of, of what he's going to have once he gets to ACC play. Shrell? I think that's um, going to the, what you said about R.J. Davis. I think that's the argument for playing him and Caleb Love together is that you can push tempo a lot more with those two because Caleb Love is a, is a pretty impressive finisher um, in his own right. And so there can be situations where Garrison Brooks grabs the rebound and instead of pushing to Caleb Love, he pushes to R.J. Davis, who's very good at pushing tempo um, with his AU team and his high school team. And then you have Caleb Love and maybe Leaky Black filling the lanes to finish. Um, and then Leaky Black himself is a capable ball handler. So you go from having one really facilitator on the team to, to maybe three if you start R.J. Davis with Leaky and Caleb. Um, and it also helps the shooting. So I think that's a dynamic that's important. But overall, I, I agree 100% with what Greg said. Like, like we mentioned earlier, like there were times when he wanted to put someone else in the game and there was no one else there to put into the game. And this season, you know, injury – Injuries notwithstanding, he should have, um, you know, more players, more depth, and a, a better chance to weed out, you know, kind of the things that he doesn't like by saying, well, you know, player X does this, and, and I really like it, and he does it consistently, so he's going to play. Whereas last year, player X was it. There was no player Y, and there was no player Z. Um, so that's what I think is the big story for this team, is that it will have depth, and it will um, – and their tempo will, I think, increase – partly because um, if the freshmen shoot like freshmen typically shoot, then they're going to need to score a ton in transition. They're yeah. going to need to get to the foul line a lot. And, you know, the best time to do that is in transition. Yeah, that lineup with, with Love, Davis, and, and Leakey is, is exciting, I think, for fans. You know, you got tons of ball handling, tons of speed. So it'll be about this team getting together, a lot of young, young pieces, a lot of new pieces. I think that's always exciting. Six new players, a lot of question marks, a lot of positions as we talked about. You have some veterans in, in uh, Leaky Black and definitely Garrison Brooks. 
and Baycott, which is definitely reassuring in terms of you kind of know what they're going to bring. But then there's play some tech. Build, play tech, yeah. There's definitely uh, – and there's definitely just some dynamic offensive pieces that I don't think UNC's had in a while, multiple pieces with, with Love and Davis and what Dayron could maybe do. And you have some shooting too with, with Kerwin and Puff, and I think that's exciting, if not next season for the future. Sherelle? Yeah, I would just say if I had to break down like the one most important thing for this team next year, I would say it's the health of Anthony Harris because so it's an inflection point. So many things pivot off of whether or not he's healthy as far as lineups and combinations and everything. I just think he's that important as a defensive player, as someone who's rock solid um, and someone who can help balance the roster. So there is there's a lot of, um, you know, pardon the pun, weight on, you know, on, on Anthony Harris coming back and being able to play. And if he's able to do that, I, you know, they have a chance to be, to be a solid, solid team. I really believe that. The, the secret aspect of all this, the thing I'm most fascinated here, we've heard for years how Roy has gotten soft. In each passing year, he's not as hard on the guys. He doesn't want to coach out of fear. You have to imagine that what transpired last year <laughs> absolutely infuriated him. And it would not surprise me in the least to hear stories of guys throwing up in trash cans, you know, rims being taken off of baskets, all those kind of things early in the year so that he drives his point home. It may not happen, but I really hope it does because those are great stories. And I think that will help the team. <laughs> yeah, I remember our last interviews in the Greensboro Coliseum after they got shellacked by Syracuse. Uh, they brought out Baycott and they brought out Leakey and Brooks and I think another player and and Leakey and Brooks and Baycott are like, yeah, we're going to get in the gym ASAP. Like, next week is when we're – and I'm bringing these guys with me. Unfortunately, coronavirus hit, and that didn't happen. But they were already motivated to get back in the gym and work together with, with that trio and play tech to, to really improve because it was obviously didn't, wasn't up to UNC standards. They were ready and willing to, to put in the work weight room-wise and conditioning-wise to get back where they need to be. It feels uh, like six months ago or a year ago. I know. It was like two and a half months or three months or something. That's crazy. All right, guys. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, really good stuff there. I hope our listeners appreciated uh, some of the info there from, from two of the foremost experts on UNC basketball and UNC basketball recruiting. Shrell, Greg, I appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. Sounds good. Thanks, Ross. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+.